Good morning. There we go. Well, I, like he said, I'm Brad Rhodes. We do have five kids. That's our whole clan up there. We um, have four daughters and a son, including three teenage daughters. And people say, how do you do it? And I said, well, if you were a fly on the wall, you would not be impressed. Uh, we were laying in bed one time, and my wife, we were just exhausted, a lot of drama, a lot of... She said, what were we thinking? <laughs> but in all seriousness, it is uh, one awesome chaotic existence that Meryl and I are blessed to have. We have. Five kids, four different schools, four different varsity sports teams, a son obsessed with hunting. So it's a, it's a lot of fun. But what we're here today to talk about is marriage. God did a work in our marriage and showed me what a great gig marriage is. I got married. When I got married, I just thought, you get married, you're just kind of married. And I just kind of watched everybody else be married. That's kind of what I thought we would be. But I'm going to tell you the story about how God showed me. It is a great gig. So in 1996, I was practicing a big firm in Nashville. And I had just made a vow. I am not going to get in a relationship for a year, period. Then I met Maryland. Eight months later, I was married. True story. I mean, I couldn't believe she existed. She was beautiful. She loved Jesus. She was spontaneous. She was tall. She was from Kentucky. She was willing to move to Kentucky. We could talk for hours. I, I loved being around her could not imagine having any problems. A friend of mine, and we'd been dating two or three weeks, he said, Brad, you've only been dating Marilyn two weeks. I think there's a 90% chance you marry that girl. And I remember freaking out in my office thinking, is there a 10% chance this falls apart? When we started dating, she had a date scheduled in Lexington with a guy in Lexington, Kentucky. And I was you know, really pursuing her. I drove her to the date, dropped her off, picked her up from the date, and drove her back and figured if I get the first three hours and the last three hours, dude loses. <laughs> yeah. And, and dude's not here. I am. Yeah, I remember her telling him bye and walking over to my car. I was like, oh. <laughs> oh, it was like, it was like a, yeah, it was, it was a beautiful feeling. So we were so excited about getting married. We went to a premarital conference. It was like 350 bucks, and it was a day and a half conference. And of course, we wanted to continue. We were there 30 minutes, 30 minutes, and we looked at each other and we laughed. And we said, isn't it great they have this for people? And we left. And we were special. We couldn't, we weren't going to have any real problems. And then we got married and moved to Owensboro. And I had watched marriage in general. So what do people do when they get married? They're just married. When they date, what do they do? They talk on the phone. They make phone calls. They spend a ton of time together. They date. They create you. They give flowers. Then they get married, and they're just married. Then they're shocked that marriage is such a flat, dull institution. And then we're shocked that we're about to lose marriage in our culture. And God showed me, and I'm going to tell you how, that you put more energy and investment into God's daughter in marriage than you even do in dating, and God will get much glory in the marriage. So we got married, and I turned all my attention off of her and all my attention to building a law practice. 
So no longer am I trying to impress and win Marilyn. I'm trying to develop a client base. So she went from feeling extremely loved and cherished to feeling ignored, married to a selfish, driven man that paid her no attention at all. I, the only thing I, I would involve her in was trying to get me more clients. I even signed her up for a 35-week bowling league. <laughs> Marilyn hates bowling. Is bad at bowling. The shirts were turquoise with cursive pink writing on the pockets. She would look in the mirror and say, I look so ugly, I'm not going. I said, no, we're going to go, we get more clients. It was like a free legal clinic, and they come to my office on Monday. But she was miserable. She told me, Brad, you were great at dating. You are horrible at being married. Within one year, she cried out to God. She said, Lord, am I sentenced to a life of this? had such hopes, crazy about me. Next thing you know, she's crying once a week. And I, always, and I remember telling her, why are you crying? I didn't do anything. And God showed me later, that's why she's crying. You didn't do anything. She was hoping you would do something. And then the first major change in our marriage, and it's the foundation of grace marriage, Marilyn came to me. And I'll never forget it because I hated the way she worded it. She said, Brad, I don't need you. And I was like, and she said, and I want to ask for your forgiveness. She said, I've been asking for you things that only Jesus Christ can give me. He said, I've been asking you to make me feel special, you to make me feel important. She said, I'm not special and important because you make me feel that way. I'm special and important because I'm the unique adopted daughter of the Lord Jesus Christ who has made me beautiful. She said, from this point forward, I will get from Jesus and I will love you, but I'm off your roller coaster. And our marriage went from bad to stable. And the reason it didn't get good is because I was not intentionally applying God's word to our marriage. But I had a man in my life, he's my uncle, who really takes the scripture, wounds from a friend can be trusted. If you are off and he knows you, he will stay on you and ride you until you're not off anymore. So he invited me to Promise Keepers in the mid-90s. And he was back when they were filling 60,000 stadiums up. And it was all about, here's God's word on marriage. Apply it. Be the spiritual leader of your house. Love your spouse as Christ loved the church. I said no three or four times. I, there's no way I was going to that thing. So he called my office manager, cleared my schedule, called my wife, cleared my home schedule, bought my ticket, invited my father-in-law, and called me and said, hey, there's Promise Keepers in Memphis is coming up. You want to go? Well, I'm probably busy at work. No, you're clear. I already checked with Diane. Well, I, we, we, we might have something at home. No, I already checked with Marilyn. And, and, and Marilyn's dad's going with us. So I went. And I learned the hard way that God's Word is sharper than a double-edged sword. And you don't have to want something for God to give it to you. The scripture in Ephesians 5, it says, Husbands, love your wife just as Christ loved the church was put out there for me. And I was given some space. What do you give up for Marilyn, Brad? Make a list. Do you give up your life? Here's what I did for you. Are you doing that for Marilyn? I sat there. I couldn't come up with anything. Live with your wife in an understanding way. 
Do you talk to Marilyn? Do you get to know Marilyn? Do you love her? Do you treat her as my adopted daughter and spend time with her and love her? No. Another passage in Colossians, love your wife and don't be harsh with her. And it hit me. I was harsh. When she would complain to me, I would say, Marilyn, chill. She'd love that one. I would say, go to the bathroom. There's some chill pills in the bathroom. And then come back. And I did not realize what a jerk I was. I was selfish. I was about me. I was not about laying my life down for the benefit of another. I was about pursuing my own life. And I learned the truth of Matthew 10, 39. Whoever finds his life will lose it, but whoever loses my sake will gain eternal life. And the Lord showed me, Brad, give your life for Maryland and I'll bring you alive. So I went home from Promise Keepers, and uh, it's really cool because God doesn't convict us to condemn us. So if you're hearing some of these things, and you're saying, well, I'm not giving my life. I'm not. He, he teaches you things because he loves you and wants to prosper you in your relationships and wants to gain glory through you. So I had a godly sorrow. I was excited. I could not get wait to get home at change. I knew God had changed something in my core. And I went home, and I told Marilyn, the only thing that's going to be different is everything. Got home at 2 a.m. Marilyn gets up at 5.30 a.m. to plant plants before church. Window into my wife. I had not served or really helped her at all our first year of marriage. I grabbed a shovel, walked outside in the front porch. She looked at me like I was a ghost. She goes, what are you doing? I said, we're starting this deal today. Where do you want me to dig? And we started going on a date once a month, once a week. And we have for the last 21 years. And we love being married. We love going through the horrible stuff life's thrown at us. We love celebrating things. We love that we get to do it together. Well, we've been involved in youth ministry. So we'd worked with youth for about 10 years. Well, some of the youth started getting older and getting married. And they asked, will you do our premarital instead of our pastor? I'm like, Disclaimer, I'm an attorney. I said, why do you want me to do it? They said, we want what you and Marilyn have. Show us. So we started doing premarital. Then we started doing groups. And for some reason, God had given us favor with marriages. Well, fast forward in the law practice. My brother and I, I talked my brother into leaving his large firm in Lexington, Kentucky to be my 50% partner. The firm had really gotten busy. I had about 200 active cases. He had about 200 active cases. We found it very difficult to handle all the cases and manage the business. So you got court, mediations, phone calls, talking to adjusters. Well, then you've got hiring, staff development, marketing. It was hard to get to the big picture stuff because the day-to-day was so dominant. Well, there was a business coaching program, and their model was once every 90 days, get out of your business and work on your business. You can't work on one case. You can't talk to one staff. You ask the question, what do you want a client to experience at Roads and Roads? How do you want to market? Do you have any people in the wrong places on your team? To make a long story short, Within five years, we'd gone from two lawyers to five, four staff to 10, better income, and my work week was down to 35 hours, and I delegated off of me the things I didn't enjoy. By then, I'd been ordained marriage pastor at our church, and I looked around our church, 
And marriage did not look appealing. It looked stagnant. It looked complacent. People were just going through life side by side, trying to get everything done. They weren't experiencing the oneness. They weren't holding hands. They weren't enjoying one another. And I thought, what if you apply the same intentionality to marriage that we did to business? Could marriage come alive and God gain glory and a movement get started to restore God's order to family in our country? So we started quarterly marriage coaching. Took husbands and wives that get out of the family once every 90 days and work on your marriage. Ask your spouse how much time you want to spend together this quarter. What do you want to do this quarter? How can God get glory in our marriage this quarter? Are there any issues I need to work on this quarter? And I watch marriages come alive. And then other churches reached out. And I realized that in many churches, there's no real structure for every marriage to get on, to get on a growth pattern for God, God, pattern for God to get more and more glory in marriage. So by 2015, the marriage piece in my life had really grown. And the Lord, I was at a coffee shop in Nicaragua, and I thought, I want to do this the rest of my life. So I came home, told my wife, how do you feel about me just quitting my job and starting a new marriage ministry? We have five kids. None of them have started college. She said, absolutely. It's what God has called you to do it. So I was all excited, started making the arrangements to offload my cases. And I learned that it's easy to get to the edge of a cliff, but it's hard to jump off. So I got to the edge of leaving the law, and I looked back, and I thought, you know, I got a really good gig. I'm working 35 hours a week. Income's good, stable, not a ton of stress. And I remember what Marilyn said vividly. She said, Brad, you know what God has called us to. Would you quit looking back and wasting both our energies? Now let's do this. So we did it. And now, God, we're in 80 different churches and honored to be working with LifePoint. And my prayer is God is starting a movement to bring marriage alive and restore his order. Because right now, we got a major problem. Our young people aren't getting married anymore. There's a 900% increase in cohabitation. A friend of mine's an SEC golf chaplain. He says the kids don't get married anymore. The marriage is off their radar. And I said, why don't they get married? Well, from their perspective, if they look at marriage and 50% of them end in bitter divorce and the other 50% look pretty stale and boring, is that something they're just going to long to do? No, let's be married that they can't wait for the day that they get to experience it. I was with the believer out in California had been dating his girlfriend two years. And I said, you going to marry this girl? He said, I'm not ready for that. I said, ready for what? He said, well, the, the duty, the heaviness, the, you know, the, I'm just not ready for the weight of that. And I said, oh, is that how you view marriage? I said, let me give you a different perspective. How does doing life together with your very best friend in the world sound? How does coming home from a long day of work to the person that you like and love more than anybody else in the world to share with, to celebrate with, to cry with, to do life with, and to enjoy in freedom physically and to connect emotionally and spiritually in ways relationally you'll never know? 
He goes, well, that sounds great. I said, well, that's what marriage is. But why did he think marriage is not that? Unfortunately, he watches other people be married. And why do the stats in the church tend to marry the stat, mirror the stats outside of the church? We've been conformed to the patterns of the world. Non-believers don't spend time together in marriage. Neither do believers. They're not intentional. We're not intentional. Their marriages fall apart. Our marriages fall apart. Their marriages are stale. Our marriages are stale. Well, let's change all of that. Right now, 40% of Americans believe that marriage is an obsolete concept that has no place. There's articles written by PhDs putting out a national news about how monogamy is not best for all a marriage and it's too narrow. I read an article this week on the practice of ethical non-monogamy in marriage. That's just, the deception is rampant. So let's live out the truth. I was leading a group recently and a guy said, God, work's been ripping on marriage. How do I respond? I said, well, first tell him he's got a point. From his view, it's unimpressive. I said, while he may not be impressed with marriage, make sure he is radically impressed with yours. You go love the fire to your wife. So I long for a change, and I believe in change. We serve a God that said, let there be light, and there was light. God performed a miracle in my marriage, and God has used a marriage to help many other marriages, and he can use your marriage to help other marriages, and this thing can spread But two major changes have to occur. First, we have to build marriage on the foundation of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Unless the Lord builds it, you build it in vain. Why do many people try to have better marriages but they can never get there? It's because they're relying on their own effort and they try and work and say, well, I tried that and it didn't work. And that's why Jesus came, because it doesn't work, and he comes to save. And second, we have to intentionally apply God's word in marriage. The present model in most marriage is a performance-based marriage. If you're nice to me, I'll be nice to you. If you act respectfully, I'll respect you. If you're kind and attentive to me emotionally, I'll be generous physically. If you're not, I won't. Love is given and taken away based upon the behavior of the others. We want to get rid of that model and replace it with a grace-based model. A grace-based model is around Romans 6.14. Romans 6.14 says, Sin will have no dominion, no control, or no mastery over you because you're under grace, not law. Let me tell you the good news. Jesus came, light burden, easy yoke, rested soul, Sabbath rest of Christ, anxious about nothing. He didn't save you, handle the reins, and see how great you can be the rest of your life. He said, no, rest in my beautiful grace and let my fruit bear through you. So sin will have no dominion over your marriage, not because you're going to work so hard to make yourself great. You're going to rely on his perfection and rest. So then sin has no dominion over the marriage. Because guess what? Life gets the best of all of us sometimes. On Monday, I'll come home a great husband. On Tuesday, I'll come home grouchy. 
One day I'm emotionally connecting, the other day I just want to be left alone. Do I wish I was morally consistent all the time and loved her? I, I don't. But Marilyn struggles, I struggle, but we have a great marriage. Why? Because Jesus Christ is perfect and our marriage is built on him. So let me, tell, let me show you some, some, an illustration on how a grace-based marriage works. Okay, in a performance-based marriage, remaining sins a reality. If you're having troubles in your marriage, Scripture says if you get married, you will have many troubles. So when I counsel people, they say, we're having many troubles in our marriage. I said, well, we could give a biblical marriage. But God uses those troubles for you to work through to become more like him. So you have one spouse sins against the other and moves away. Say she raises her voice at him, not nice at him. She withdraws from him physically. She moves from him. In a performance-based marriage, he doesn't like that. Don't treat me that way. Don't talk to me that way. So he sends back and moves away from her. He either takes offense or gives her a consequence and snaps back. And see what happens? You have a relational chasm. You have a sin barrier. Sin has dominion. Sin has mastery. Sin has control. And as a result, the couple lives in stagnant coexistence with sin being a barrier, or they finally give up and say, you know, we just don't love each other anymore, and they get divorced. A grace-based marriage is different. In a grace-based marriage, one spouse sins, again, the wife. <laughs> Everybody says Marilyn's better than me, so I've, that's why I'm doing this. <laughs> so instead of taking offense, husband, while I was an enemy of God, Christ died for me. Well, I was yet a sinner. Christ died for me. How do you love your wife? Like that. So understanding the grace and love of Jesus, instead of withdrawing, he pursues, extends grace, love, kindness, and moves toward her as opposed to away from her. The relational chasm's closed. Sin has no dominion. And Jesus Christ's ministry of reconciliation is put on the world. And they have a great marriage because of Jesus Christ. Make sense? So now, when I do something to get on Marilyn's nerves, which is pretty regularly, she thanks grace, and she comes toward me. One grace marriage participant tends to overwork. And he said, I worked late three nights in a row, and I knew my wife would be upset, but they'd been in grace marriage, and they'd been open to beautiful God's grace. He gets a text from his wife. It's all good, period. Grace, period. Can't wait till you get home, exclamation mark. Isn't that beautiful? Guess what? God didn't overwork as much anymore. Why? He wants to come experience some grace of God through his wife. He'd rather be at home than at work now. So God's grace is beautiful. God's grace is powerful. God's grace sets marriages up for success. Because what's Luke 6 say? Even pagans and non-believers are good to those that are good to them. Christians are good to those when people are not good to them. So when I'm not good to Marilyn, Marilyn's good to me. I'm like, what are you doing? We're not doing well. Why are you pursuing me? Why are you doing that? She just says, shut up. <laughs> she will. She goes, I value our marriage too much to let us stay like this. Keep your mouth shut. Because she has a bigger picture view of God getting glory than marriage and just taking offense. Now, it's important to note, 
God's grace in marriage does not extend to accepting abuse or infidelity. If you are in that position, protect yourself and seek help. But in the day-to-day stuff, grace will set you free. Before we understood grace, Marilyn be on my nerves, I've been her nerves. I value getting Redbox back on time. Marilyn does not. <laughs> Marilyn would be a chief supporter of our local public library. I could recite to you the message. We've had so many books. I'll see her carry eight books in, and I'm thinking that's 45 bucks worth of overdue fees. So used to, I would nag her about that, and she just never changed. Now that's no big deal. I extend grace there, and guess what? She now takes red boxes back on time. It'll text me, took the red box back, boom. (laughs) But it's neat because grace does not enable bad behavior for the believer. It fuels good behavior. So, and the thing about God's grace, it's so beautiful. It will protect you. If it hasn't already, bombs are going to hit your life. We've had very difficult seasons in our marriage. We had um, my 11-year-old came to bed with us one night, and at midnight, Marilyn felt led to pray and started praying. At 2 o'clock, Madeline quit breathing. And Marilyn just started screaming. I run around the house trying to find a rescue inhaler, never found it. Um, did break a toe and a cordless phone. And then she kept not breathing, went totally limp in Marilyn's arms. And Marilyn's screaming, thinking she's holding our dead daughter. Turns out she had a grand mal seizure. They couldn't tell us what was wrong with her, couldn't tell us it wouldn't happen again. And Marilyn went to bed every night, fearful that she would wake up and find Madeline dead. At the same time, we have an infant who's not sleeping and another ADD kid who's gluten and dairy free. Marilyn, the most stable woman with a counseling degree, feels like she's going to have panic attacks. She's depressed. She has no interest in me. She goes away for a month. I visit them on weekends to her parents' cabin. But God showed me it's not about what you get from Marilyn. And I considered it a privilege to be the man that got to try to help her in the middle of that. A year, but then I get a phone call at work one day, and she says, Brad, this is Marilyn. I'm happy. What? She says, I'm happy. She says, I forgot what it felt like to be happy. And she said, thank you for loving me while I had nothing to give you. She said, if you asked anything from me, it would have crushed me because I was barely getting by. And the reality is that happens to us in life. There are valleys. It happened to me. I had a stretch in the practice of law where I was anxious. I couldn't sleep. I was short. I was distant. I would get up at 3.45 in the morning and start working. I knew God's word, be anxious about nothing. I longed for that peace that transcends all understanding, but I could not find it. My staff at work, noticed that you, you look kind of gray. They were worried I was like dying or something. Marilyn did not quit pursuing me. She was generous with me. Came home one day from work and she had been crying. And I said, what's wrong, honey? She said, I'm worried about you. But I've been praying all afternoon. 
that God would help you. Clouds lifted. Marilyn did not take offense at the manifestation of my struggle. She went after me because she loves me because she knows Jesus Christ loves her. And that's why Matthew 7 says, when the storms hit, when the rains come, you will stand if you stand on me. So don't worry when the trials hit. Jesus says, in this world you will have many troubles. He says, take heart, I've overcome the world. In me you will have peace. So God's grace has brought our marriage alive. It has protected our marriage, and it will do the same for yours. So the second shift we have to have is replacing complacency with intentionality. Intentionally applying God's word to marriage so that people watch you be married and they're impressed with marriage, they're impressed with Jesus, that you have a bunch of walking billboards for marriage in here. There was a couple, they were like 80 years old. I was at a marina at a place where my friend had a boat and I, this couple turns on slow, slow music and slow dances on the top of their boat together by themselves. The next night, they're playing a board game, laughing and giggling. I asked him, I said, man, congratulations. I commend you for having such a great marriage. He said, we don't tell people because we don't want them to feel bad. I said, tell them all, make them feel horrible. <laughs> I said, show them this is what you can have if you'll put God's Word into practice. You can really enjoy this deal. Marilyn and I go on a date once a week, and we have a blast don't get me wrong, we have troubles like everybody else, but because of grace, we laugh about them. We'll have a difficult night, and we'll look at each other in the morning, and we'll just laugh. And she'll say, I didn't do too well last night, did I? So I didn't either. Just God's grace, God's grace. We move on, and sin has no dominion. That's the power it has. So intentionality, what LifePoint and leadership's asking you to do is say, my marriage is worthy of investment. I'm going to make space and work on my marriage. There are six hours every 90 days to get with your spouse, to plan, be proactive, and be strategic, and richly enjoy one another for the glory of God and grow in understanding and revelation of Jesus as you love him. Because how do we proclaim the power of Jesus when it doesn't even manifest in a way to make our own marriages special? Evangelism starts with relational transformation in the marriage. So what we're asking is intentionality in marriage. Now, when you come to Grace Marriage Coaching at Life Points, it's not you really stink, now go stink less than 90 days and come back and we'll see how you did. Because God's word, again, it's not to condemn us, it's to show us a better way. It used to be Marilyn could not criticize me because I'd take offense and tell her how great I was and you didn't realize how great I was and I'd feel all bad about myself. We did a teaching on non-sexual touch and I made the mistake of asking her after the teaching, how am I doing in that area? She said, do you really want to know? Like, Probably not. She said, you touch me like you do our dog, Lucy. I'm like, what? She goes, have you ever thought I don't enjoy this? <laughs> and she said, when you put your arm around me, I feel like I'm just getting boom. <laughs> and she goes, are you mad? I said, no. I said, we have a great marriage, and now I'll just touch a little better. 
So my prayer is that each of you get on a growth track in your marriage and you realize that everything needs attention to thrive. You don't grow in your health unless you have good diet habits and exercise. Unless you change the oil and take care of your car, your car breaks down. If you don't take care of a car, it doesn't go well. But then somehow we think marriage is just supposed to work with no effort, intentionality, or work. Now, LifePoint wants you to come radically alive by investing in your marriage and getting intentional. Because what, it ha- what has happened in Matthew 13, 22, it says, The worries of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke out the word. And right now, most couples are so busy trying to take care of work and bills and errands and kids and kids' sports that they're not spending significant one-on-one time together, not richly enjoying one another, and the marriage is getting choked out. The average young professional couple in America spends 35 minutes per week one-on-one time. The average adult spends two hours and 51 minutes per day on a cell phone. Only 40% of married couples go on a date at least once a month. 41% experience infidelity at some point in a marriage. It all makes so much sense, doesn't it? So what I'm asking you to do and what your leaders are asking you to do is make space, invest in, put Jesus on display in your marriage and show up and don't schedule over your marriage. Show up for grace marriage coaching and when something comes up, say, no, I've got that day blocked off for my marriage. My wife and I have been in it six years. Recently, we had our day blocked off for coaching. It was the day of my daughter's college visit, Tiger Days. Dad, I want you there. Honey, I can't be there. Your grandmother will go with you. I've got that say set aside to work on marriage with your mom, but I want you there. I said, but I have to love your mom well to have a great marriage for you to have a great family. And my prayer is that she makes room for her marriage someday and she gets to enjoy it like I get to enjoy it. So some just brief details. It's once every 90 days. Why once every 90 days? Because by 90 days, you'll forget about everything you were taught the first time. One pastor in Lexington showed up his second session, said, I confess, I'm not doing hardly anything I said I would. I said, exactly, that's why you're back here. Because without structure and accountability, sustained growth doesn't occur. It's not six hours of teaching. It's not going to be asked, share all your dirty laundry and we'll pray over you. It is a forum for you to receive biblical material, space to apply to your context, space to talk to your spouse about it, and then plan your quarter together and address issues as they go so they don't get so big and damage your marriage. I am honored to be here at LifePoint. I am thankful that your church is willing to make a proactive, aggressive, biblical response to the attacks on marriage. There has been very strong attacks against the institution of marriage, as you're aware. And there's no area the evil one has been more effective in than shaking the cores of our families. And as a lawyer who did family law for five years and watched people struggle cry, watch kids go back and forth 
And some of you are experiencing that now. Love your kids well by protecting your marriage. Now, if you are divorced, thrive where you're planted. There's no condemnation. Jesus Christ, bring him glory where you are today. If you are married, step forward, protect your marriage, and grow it. Thanks for having me. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we uh, thank you for Life Point. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for giving us the institution of marriage. Lord, we pray that you would make it that uh, the DNA of this church is life and grace in the marriage relationship. Lord, we thank you for today. In Christ's name, amen.